Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. It's my pleasure to invite my friend Andy up. Andy and Hazel have been with us this weekend all the way up from the deep south. Horsham, all the way, like go to London, go further. It's like miles away, but they've braved multiple motorways to be with us. They had a wonderful time with our worship team on Friday night. Great time with us as eldership team yesterday. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for us as Andy shares this morning. Would you like this? Oh, great. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's being turned on. It says on. It does indeed. Here you go. You hold this one. Hi. We'll just uh, make it up as we go along. If it works, is it working? Otherwise, I'll use this. There you go. Excellent. Wow. Okay, well, that's me. <laughs> it's great to be here. Um, if you're on the camera, you're going to have to... I, I can't stand still. Um, so I'm just giving you the heads up. So I will be walking around um, anyway. But thank you so much for having me. just want to thank Adam and the team uh, for just inviting us to be with you for the weekend. We've had a fabulous time with your worship team uh, on Friday and with your uh, leaders and, and elders yesterday. And, and now the cherry on the cake is we get to be with all of you today. So uh, we're really excited to be here. Um, as Adam said, we're from uh, Horsham, which is just south of Gatwick. Um, you probably tell uh, from my accent, I'm not actually from Sussex. Um, I was born 10 miles from where the Queen was born, which is why she and I speak the same. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm from London, just like the Queen, and um, I was brought up in Essex, um, uh, and uh, I'll give you, here we go, come on, Essex, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little interesting note. When I was a teenager, I used to be in Mark's home group, <laughs> and I was the first person they entrusted to look after and babysit their daughter. There you go. So there we go. A little bit of history. So it's great. It, it really is good to be with you. Uh, it's great to have Hazel with me. One time when we were at a church, Adam did a great introduction there, but we were once introduced as a beautiful couple, which I was particularly thrilled with until I realised that it was Hazel that made it beautiful and I just made it a couple. Um, I've got the perfect face for radio. So... Um, it, it's great to be able to minister and do stuff together. Hayes and I got two um, adult sons, uh, Tom and Eddie, who we're very proud of. Uh, Tom and his wife, Steffi, uh, live in uh, Horsham and are part of Lifespring with us. Um, and Eddie and Chloe uh, live just near Reading, um, and they're part of the Hillsong plant team that are planting into uh, uh, Reading at the moment. And uh, we have one gorgeous, beautiful, dynamite, Absolutely, she's the apple of my eye, granddaughter, who's two and a half years old, um, and um, she's already worked out how to wrap me around her finger. Hazel feels like I've lost the ability to say no, um, and she's absolutely right. Um, so up until recently, um, I was a senior pastor of our church, um, Lifespring. Don't worry, I've not been fired um, or, or anything like that. Um, one of my passions is raising young leaders. Um, and, and raising them up. And one of the things that you do, you've got two choices really. You can either send them or get out of the way. 
Um, and on this occasion, it was time for me to get out of the way um, and to, to let one of our, our younger guys come and, and lead the team. Um, and that's, you know, God creates space. The Bible says that a man's gift makes way for him and brings him before kings. Um, and, um, you know, part of that is, is true for me. God makes it a way for me. So now 50% of my time is serving the Christ Central Apostolic Church, or Apostolic Team and the churches that we, we look after around the world. So I spend a lot of my time in Africa um, and Romania, who I've, I've been in Romania like 20 years now. Um, serving uh, New Frontiers Church there, who are doing great, by the way. They've, they've converted masses of their building to take in refugees because they border with the Ukraine, um, and uh, they're doing an amazing job there. I mean, I think they've got 60 or so refugees living in their church building. They've added showers in and bedrooms in and dorms in. They're doing a great job and actually find themselves in a really interesting position is that they've got uh, over 30 unaccompanied minors with them. So they've got an entire ice hockey team um, and their coach, and they've got an entire volleyball team and their coach. Um, So it's a very interesting kind of setup, but they're doing doing great. uh, And I'm sure if they knew I was here, they'd ask me to say hi. Um, So uh, little stories from around the world. Let me tell you one more. Um, Our church plant in Gothenburg, um, I was chatting with them... uh, just last week, and um, they told me this amazing story, and I just love telling it. Um, so they had a, a lady that had been coming along to church for a little bit, just really sort of seeking Jesus and, and, and just worshipping with them, and she came to that point of faith, she gave her life to Jesus, and as she was going home on the bus, she just thought, I really need to pray for my husband. Just she felt that really kind of strong sense of just having given her life to Jesus, that sense of, I need to pray for my husband, he, he needs to know Jesus. And so she got home, went through the door, and she just said, I need to tell you something. And he goes, before you do, I need to tell you something. I don't know what's happened this morning, but I've just been on my knees weeping and repenting, and I don't know why. And so she says, I know why. (laughs) And so she then led her husband literally an hour or so after she'd given her life to Jesus. So what a great story. So if ever you fancy a mission trip, give me a call. Very welcome to come uh, wherever I go. Um, But really, let's just take some time. I just want to stir us this morning. I've been really kind of deeply thinking about recently, what what is it to be a genuine genuine disciple of Jesus? What What does that mean? A guy called Dallas Willard who anybody with that kind of a name deserves to be listened to. I'd love a friend with that kind of a name. That's cool. Dallas Willard. He says this, We have preached a gospel that has filled our churches with followers of Jesus, but not disciples. And I think, you know, in our culture, we, we tend to kind of we follow a football team, or we might, we might follow a concept or, or an idea um, or, or even a, a, a culture, we might fo- follow some kind of moral code or standard. But, but being a disciple of Jesus is so much more than simply being a follower. And, and this morning, I, I just love us to look quickly at what it is to be a genuine, authentic disciple of Jesus. Because I believe if we are, then it's going to result in some things. It's going to produce some things. A follower doesn't necessarily have anything, doesn't produce anything. 
But if we're an authentic disciple of Jesus, I believe it will produce something in us. And one of those things that it produces, I think, is sacrificial generosity. And I don't just mean in, in terms of money. You know, I believe that generosity demonstrates what our eyes are genuinely fixed on. It shows what our hearts treasure most. And actually, it exposes our true view of God as a good, good father or not. See, sacrificial generosity often means, always means, actually, taking a risk. Not a kind of wild, frivolous, kind of crazy risk, but a risk that I I would call that's based on sanctified wisdom. There's still that potential for loss, because that's what a risk is. There's, There's potential for loss, but there's also a faith in God that he will do what is right. And if you read in 2 Samuel the story of of Joab, we we read this phrase, and I love it. Joab says to his leaders, Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of God, that we uh, uh, and the Lord will do what seems good to him. So he says, We're going to be courageous, we're going to take a risk. Trusting that the Lord will do what seems good to him. He'd not had a prophetic revelation. He just made a decision based on what he knew of God. That he was good. Queen Esther famously saying, you know, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. As she goes before the king. And as you read that story, you'll see that she didn't have a revelation from God to go to the king. She just went to the king, took a risk. But her primary thought wasn't for herself, it was for the people of God and the purposes of God. And so sacrificial generosity in the life of an authentic disciple is never a gamble. It's a risk, but it's never a gamble. Jim Elliot, who's now a very famous uh, missionary um, uh, and martyr, said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And sacrificial generosity is all about, in my view, it's about vision. What have we got our eyes set on? Our true belief about who God is and our kingdom ambition. What are we giving ourselves to? What are we giving ourselves to see come about? And so I want us to take a a, a look this morning at our famous passage, Matthew Chapter 6 and verse 19 through to verse 34. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me. Matthew 6, 19 to 34. And Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, 
I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Now, the first question that Jesus raises with us in this passage is that of treasure and where, as a matter of primary importance, we look to accumulate it. Now, I don't think you need to be a great scholar or theologian to realize Jesus is suggesting that's probably heaven. Okay, so we kind of got that. And Jesus is saying that accumulating stuff here on earth is subject to risk. That's what he's saying. Earthly treasures are insecure and any number of things could come and steal them away. And actually we're seeing that now, aren't we? We're seeing that the cost of living can steal away your accumulated savings. The price of petrol... uh, COVID-triggered stock market crash, a war-induced recession are all things totally out of our control that come and steal away our treasures on earth. Earthly treasure, it's fleeting and it's far from secure. And Jesus contrasts that with heavenly treasures, treasures that are secure and eternal, treasures that cannot be stolen or stripped away or or diminished. However, I don't actually think Jesus is, by making this contrast, suggesting that there is a binary choice to be made here. He's not, I don't think anyway, suggesting that you have to make a choice between one or the other. I don't think he's outlawing us having possessions, nor is he, in my opinion, saying that we shouldn't be making provision for a rainy day. He's not saying that Christians shouldn't have a life assurance policy. He's not saying that they shouldn't have a pension or even some modest savings. I think actually Scripture commends that kind of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 condemns the, the sluggard and the lazy and commends the wisdom of the ant who stores up food from a good harvest in the summer so that she has food in the winter. That's commended. The Apostle Paul goes even further, as only he can, when he writes to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 8, when he says, if we don't make provision 
for our relatives and family, we deny our Christian faith and are worse than an unbeliever. So we are to make provision. I don't think Jesus is suggesting that if you choose heavenly treasure, that you are to deny yourself earthly possessions or provision. No, what he is saying is what is of primary importance to you. What do you have your eyes fixed on? What's of primary importance? Because if what's of primary importance is is you storing treasures in heaven by doing the things that Jesus has commanded you to do, then our possessions on earth, all of those things, will be subject to that objective. So Jesus isn't outlawing those things. He's just saying, what is of primary importance? Because once you've decided that and you've fixed your eyes on that, those other things become subjective to that primary objective. And so... What what am I talking about when I'm talking about primary importance? It's essentially ambition. What's your ambition? What's your ambition in life? What are your eyes set on? And do you have a kingdom ambition? And Jesus uses an example elsewhere in Scripture. He talks of the pearl of great price. He, He says there's a guy whose primary ambition is to own this pearl. And Jesus says, you know... If that's his primary ambition, then everything else is going to be subject to that ambition. It's going to be secondary to it. And so when he finds this pearl, is he not, Jesus says, going to sacrifice everything else in order to have it? And the answer is, of course he will, because those things are secondary. And in order to have what's primary, he's willing to sacrifice everything that's secondary. But if that same guy has become accustomed to the things of the world, he's become accustomed to having those things around him, then it's very easy to then think, well, actually, I do want that. But actually, I'm not sure now I want to sacrifice this. Because what's of secondary importance has slowly become primary. And then the sacrifice becomes too great. You see, this is always a matter of the heart. You know, what we're reading out of the Sermon on the Mount, and actually all of those things are matters of the heart. It's not entirely about possessions or even money, although that is definitely the context of these verses. Now, this is about the heart and what the heart truly desires. Jesus is saying that if your heart has made the things of heaven of primary importance, if that's what you treasure most, then you will be willing to sacrifice what's secondary in order for what you've set your heart on. And it applies to your generosity with money, because that's the context of this passage. But the principles Jesus is giving us here applies to other precious commodities as well. It applies to other things that are precious to us. And so I've got three things, and because I'm a proper preacher, just so you know, they all start with T. All right? So, you know, you take the boy out of the Baptist church, but you can't take the Baptist church out of the boy. All right? So if, 
if the, the mission of heaven is to reach the lost, to make disciples and see his kingdom come, if that's of primary importance, if that's our true ambition, then we will give up what's secondary in order to achieve that. So, the first T, time. Will we sacrifice our time to have what our eyes are fixed on and our heart treasures? The second T is talent. It's another one, interesting one to consider in this context. What we treasure, what genuinely, what, what are we actually giving our talents to? Treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? Now I think that we need to be true disciples of Jesus in every aspect of life. I believe that with all my heart, in business, in medicine, in education, the arts, in politics, law enforcement and all of the rest. But as we apply our talents in those areas, what is our true ambition as we do so? Is it genuinely an ambition to just earn more money? Is our ambition self-promotion? Or is our greatest ambition to bring the kingdom of God in those places and to those people? There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well, nothing wrong with being promoted and holding senior positions. But what is your true heart ambition in the use of those talents? Is it seeing his kingdom come, or is it actually more about building your own kingdom? The final T to consider, and I, I did have to wiggle a little bit to get here, but is, is tithe, is your tithe. All right? Finances. The generosity and financial giving. In truth, your tithe cannot be considered, and this is my opinion, your tithe cannot be considered being generous. Okay? Your tithe, the Bible tells us, 10% of your income is already God's. That's His. You can only start to be generous when you start giving out of the 90% that God has said is yours to do with what you like. Let me give you an example. If you're renting a house... And you think, do you know what? I love to do something really generous for my landlord, so I'm not going to pay my rent this month, and I'm going to buy him something really nice. That's not being generous, is it? You can only be generous to your landlord once you've paid your rent, and then you buy him something nice. And tithing, I believe, is, is something that stores up for us riches in heaven. And I believe that you know, if the advance of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is our true heart ambition, then what is secondary, my money, will be sacrificed easily for what my heart really wants. And in scripture, the word heart and I are often used interchangeably. So meaning to set your heart or to fix your eye on something kind of means the same thing. 
So if you look in like verse uh, 6 of Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. And then four verses later, he says, With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. So he's saying his eyes are fixed on it, his heart's fixed. It's the same thing. And so as Jesus is moving through this story that he's telling, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Okay, what's your heart set on? He then starts speaking about the eye, making sure that the eye is healthy. He's saying that the, the eye, if you like, affects the whole body. Okay, so if heart and eye are interchangeable, he's saying what your eye is fixed on, what you've set your ambition towards, is going to affect your whole body body. It's going to affect everything about who you are. And so the question isn't a binary choice, choosing one and denying the other, but it's which one will you serve? It's not saying yes to that, no to that, it's no. It's which one will you serve? That's Jesus' question. Which one will be the object of your ambition? Will it be God or will it be money? Which one is going to be primary and which one is going to be secondary? Because what is secondary will always be sacrificed for what's primary. And if in truth money and worldly possessions, your good standing, your position are primary and God's secondary, then the things of the kingdom will end up being sacrificed. Sunday gatherings become a nice-to-have. Corporate prayer meetings tend to be, well, as and when I can make it. And your time and your talents and your tithes actually become sacrificed in order to achieve your primary objective. And Jesus is saying, which one will you serve? You see, if, if God and his kingdom is your primary ambition, then sacrificial generosity of your time and your talents and your tithe will, will be possible. But you can't serve two masters. Both things cannot be primary. Both things cannot be your life ambition. And I think that's why Jesus goes on. He says, therefore... now." I'm from Essex, I'm not that bright, but I always remember someone telling me that when you find a therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? All right, so, do you see what I did there? That's good, wasn't it? Excellent. So, what's Jesus put that therefore in there for? Because he's basically saying, look, what, what I'm going on to say, it relates to what I've just said. And he goes on to talk about how anxiety and the, and the goodness of God is connected to your primary ambitions and what you then sacrifice to achieve them. Anxiety comes because the Gentiles, those who aren't disciples of Jesus, set their hearts and their eyes and their ambitions on the treasures of this world. Their primary ambitious, ambition is wealth and comfort and, and ease. So when a virus comes along and threatens to steal that wealth, or a war 
challenges their potential to earn that wealth and reach the things that they've set their heart on, they become anxious and worried. And if this life is all there is, I can understand that. I I can see it. You're going to need to do all you can to get all you can and then enjoy it while you can. But by contrast, Jesus is saying, is there not more to life than this? He's, He's asking us, is there not a greater ambition for the children of God? Is there not a superior purpose to life for the true disciple than your possessions and your provision? And his rhetorical question when considering the feeding of the birds, is is really asking us to consider your Father in heaven. Anxiety comes when there is a risk of loss. But Jesus is asking us to consider our heavenly Father, who even provides for the birds and clothes the flowers of the field. And he's asking us to think about The one who did not, or would not in this case, even spare his only son to give us all we need. Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 31, he says this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Our anxiety comes when there's a fear of loss. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about general anxiety like PTSD and things like that, the things that are triggered by trauma, things I'm very personally kind of familiar with. No, I'm talking about anxiety that comes with a fear of loss of things we have made primary. Jesus says, look at those who don't have your heavenly Father to provide for them. They're anxious about these things, but it shouldn't be so with you because you have a Father who will not even withhold his own Son from you. And so our anxieties in the area of provision and risk is actually the fruit of unbelief and how we really see our heavenly Father. Because if we see him as infinitely wealthy and infinitely generous, and then not only that, but we know he is benevolent enough to give it to us as well. It's great, isn't it, to have rich friends? It's brilliant. But if I don't share it with you, what's the point in having a rich friend? It's no different to a poor friend. But God is infinitely generous. He has the sheep on a thousand hills and he's infinitely benevolent. Depend on it, Hudson Taylor said. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And Jesus in this this story is giving us God's way for being a genuine disciple. Seek first the kingdom. Make God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven your ambition. Make your primary objective and principal focus making disciples and all these other things. The things that you know you need, he knows you need. 
But you've been chosen to be sacrificially generous with those things, knowing that he will give you all that you need. Make him your primary objective. Let your primary ambition be seeking first his kingdom. First and foremost, knowing that he is so good, he will add all these things to you. So, what does this really mean? What does it mean for tomorrow? What does it mean for this week in church? You know church isn't just this bit, right? What does it mean to be... What does it mean? Or what's it going to be next week in school? What does, it, what does it all this mean? I think we need to take some time to really think about what is your genuine and primary ambition in life. Is it to seek first the kingdom? Or are there some other primary objectives in your life? As we think about things like, you know, well, at home, you know, it'd be easy to cite family responsibilities as your primary responsibilities in this season. Maybe you're a new mum and you just feel like that just consumes everything, all your time and your energy and your primary goal is to basically like shovel it in one end and scoop it out the other. And I get, I get that. I do understand that. But what is your primary ambition in that season? Is it to make disciples? Because that's the Great Commission. That's the overriding thing Jesus has given us all to do, to make disciples of nations. He, he, he's called us to make disciples, to go to every unreached people group in the world, to those who've never heard the gospel and tell them the good news of Jesus. That's, that's the overriding ambition for every Christian, or, or, or I believe should be. But if you are parents of young children, let me just suggest something to you. If you're parents of young children, then you have an unreached people group under your roof. You have a people group who have not fully heard and understood the gospel of Jesus under your roof. So if your ambition is to seek first the kingdom in this season, then your primary objective is to teach them all the things that Jesus has taught you, knowing that those other things, like teaching them to walk and run and count and write, will be added to you, because he's promised it, if you seek first the kingdom. The same is true if you're at work. What do you think is the primary objective of you being at work? Now, I know you need to do a good job to work as unto the Lord, to, to be the best you can, to do the best that you can. But what is your primary ambition for work? What would seeking the kingdom first look like in your office, knowing that your Father in heaven knows that you need to make that deal and close that sale, complete uh, those tasks, finish that report and, and, and uh, give him that assignment? He knows that. But his promise is, if you seek first the kingdom and make that your ambition, then all those things will be added to you. And I can tell you story after story after story of my commercial life in sales of where that's happened. Think about a church this coming week, next weekend. What does seeking the kingdom as your primary ambition look like? What does going after that pearl of great price, giving up all you have in order to see the kingdom come about. What does it look like? We've said that if that's really the pearl of great price that we're after, we'll gladly sacrifice it. 
to have what we desire most. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I'd suggest, I don't know how you do home groups, whatever, maybe have a, have a think about those three T's and consider, are you being sacrificially generous in terms of those things? Are you being sacrificially generous in terms of your time? In seeking to share Jesus with those who don't yet know him. That could be in terms of evangelism or coming on mission with me sometime. But it could be serving on a Sunday so that the unreached people groups of our kids and youth can hear Jesus. It might be just to make Sundays happen so people like me or Adam or others can share the good news of Jesus with all of the visitors that you're committed to bringing. Is, is that how it works? Okay, cool. Are you being sacrificially generous in terms of your talents? Are you seeking the kingdom first and foremost with your talents? Let me ask you, do you lead a team at work? If you do, then why don't you come and lead a team here at Hope? I'm sure they could do some more life groups. I don't know. Maybe. Come and lead a team of disciples whose primary objective it is to see heaven on earth. Are you technical? Are you good with kids? Are you musical, creative, friendly, hospitable? Are you compassionate, pastoral, good with finances? The list is endless. But are you ready to generously sacrifice those talents to what is of primary importance? Which is to see the kingdom of God come in Harrogate. And finally, you're being sacrificially generous with your finances. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God as your primary ambition? Are you, are, you, are you demonstrating that as you bring your tithes and your offerings? As I've said, generous giving, in my opinion, can only begin when it's over and above your tithe. And the reality is tithes 10% is proportional to your income. Now, your giving may be disproportional to your income, but the reality is the amount that we give will not be equal as offerings, but the sacrifice in our giving should be equal. Our offerings will not be equal in value, but the sacrifice of our offering should be. John Stott, a famous theologian, says this about this passage. What then is our Christian ambition? Everybody is ambitious to be or do something, often from early years. Children's ambitions tend to follow certain stereotypes, either to be a cowboy, an astronaut, or a ballerina. Adults have their own paths and stereotypes too, to be wealthy, famous, or powerful. But ultimately, there are only two possible ambitions for human beings. So far as we have seen, Jesus contrasted a false with a true ambition, a secular or Gentile with a Christian, a material with a spiritual, treasures on earth with treasures in heaven, food and clothing with the kingdom and righteousness of God. But beneath and beyond all of these, there is a contrast more fundamental still, 
In the end, just as there are only two kinds of piety, the self-centered and the God-centered, so there are only two kinds of ambition. One can be ambitious either for oneself or for God. There is no third alternative. And church, I just want to say, as we've, you know, what have we truly, truly set our eyes on? What is it that our heart truly treasures? Is it God's kingdom or is it our own? One gives rise to risk, to insecurity, to loss and anxiety. The other gives rise to sacrificial generosity as we gladly give up what is secondary in order to see what is primary fulfilled. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Amen? Amen. 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 Wonderful.